Welcome to another episode of What's New in Wagyu. Uh, I'm Lane. Well, I'm Steven. And this is Lane. <laughs> and I am Lane. So we've decided that we need to change up how we're going to be doing the podcast a little bit. We've been gone for a month because it's been terrible in Idaho and I've hated the weather and didn't feel like doing this because I would just say mean things. Anger, anger just brings other anger. But we've had an extremely long winter. Uh, it went we've into, had a hard winter with our calves. Right. Not only a hard winter, but a long one. And and all of our neighbors and everyone in our region has kind of had the same struggle. We've lost a lot of calves. We've lost a lot of maternal animals. We've lost a lot of high dollar cows during calving this this January. And not due to our fault, but, you know, you, you get prolapses, you get heat, and, well, cold distress, especially when we had negatives for months on end plus feet of snow. So um, we're we're going to change this up a little bit. Um, I want to start off now every week we're going to talk about the cattle market. Uh, that's probably one of the most important things we can do because the general cattle market affects the Wagyu market, whether we want it to or not. And it affects my meat shop. Right. And, and here's the big thing. Um, right now we have the lowest inventory, I think, in like 30 years of female maternal age cows in the nation. And we're coming off a terrible winter in the West and a terrible drought everywhere else. And the cattle numbers have just plummeted with hay 300 a ton. Uh, most of the big herds around us, they cut in half, if not more. And sadly, uh, they went to the butcher shop, not being resold somewhere else to make babies. And Lane saw a lot of them. Lane, how, how are the conditions of these cows coming off range? They weren't very good. Because of the drought, um, and a lot, you know, and a lot of them, they've just came straight off the range, and so they were lightweight. They weren't rolled out. Um, most of them ended up uh, ground beef. Um, it just wasn't. Uh, a lot of them were were older. They called their older cows. Um, just it just wasn't uh, a lot of fun. Cutting those in the meat shop, working with those in the meat shop, and, and it's and it's hard. Like like those are the things that make the cattle industry not as fun when we have a lot of issues that come up all of a sudden that we have no ability to change. Really, I I, I can't tell Mother Nature to be nicer to us. Yeah, she she uh, kind of rules that department. So this week is the week of of April 11th, and the cattle market's been fairly steady over the last, oh, two to three weeks right now. Uh, your average, you know, steer price, uh, here we do it a little bit different in, in, in Idaho, Montana, Wyoming. We go by the medium larges, um, one to two counts, they ran around $2.17 a pound on the hoof. That's, that's good money. Um, most, most of your mediums and larges are your five to seven weights. Um, they're, they're doing pretty good on those. Yeah. Uh, I've had some estimates given to me, uh, about a week ago from a pretty reliable source that they figure that, uh, these same cattle will be close to $3 by this time next year. And that's because of the shortage of the numbers that we have going into next year, correct? Correct. And, and the problem is, is when we don't have enough animals, the feedlots are, are struggling. So what they do is, is they don't want to pay high dollar either. So they have to figure out how to get them bought for a reasonable price. Well, 
it's about damn time that the cattleman gets the opportunity to set his price because we've been getting hosed on this for a long time. And, and it's one of the reasons we started butcher shop. It is so that I didn't have to deal with them, them buyers that are out there to, to take advantage of a situation that's not entirely fair. Uh, this industry is set up by major packers. Uh, nice thing about Wagyu is we have some localized packing and we have, what's even better is, is we have three big buyers. Yes, they belong to big packing industry, but they realize they have to pay a premium or they're not going to get the cattle. And the minute that the Wagyu producer, especially the F1 Wagyu producer, neglects his responsibility to make sure that he's getting an adequate fair price, uh, we'll be like everyone else. You know, everybody taunted a you know a CAB when you were younger, right? And I think that it did a good job for the first ten years, and then it kind of fell off. And so did their standards and quality. There you go. And the minute we do that, we're, we're just done. Um, so medium larges, that's when we get into those uh, those mid weights, those seven hundred pounders. Uh, they, they were at it two dollars, so two dollars a pound live weight. That's that's good money for, for anybody out there. Um, when we start getting into the bigger cattle, the, your finished cattle, we went down to 174. I, I can live there. I can live there. I, I can see it being $2 a pound by the time they're said and done. And remember guys, this is the general cattle market. This isn't a premium with Wagyu. You know, the, this is the base of what the cattle market is. Yeah. Our commercial cattle market. Right. 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 And, and these, these guys set a, a standard for us, whether we like it or not. If they're selling their product for $3 a pound, at the grocery store, uh, most of you aren't going to get more than a double that with your Wagyu product. Let's be honest about it. Correct. If your prime rate is at $3 a pound, which I'm not saying it is, don't, don't misconstrue me. We use little numbers so everyone can understand. The Wagyu market should be about double. You know, so that's why everybody asks us, you know, why are we at $100 for, uh, one, for one pound ribeye lane? Well, because prime one pound ribeyes at our local Sam's club. It's 50 bucks. Pretty easy math, right? Correct. So, you know, everybody needs to remember that. The other thing is the corn market's solidified itself a little bit. It's, it's kind of stabilized itself. It came down a little bit, but it's now bouncing itself back up. Uh, I'd be really interested to see what it's going to be like next week after the planning report, after we see what's been planted already in the Midwest and down in the South, that could really affect the corn price. I don't see it going down though. Um, contracts here in Idaho for, for Coors and Budweiser, they're running around 11 to $14 a bushel, Correct. uh, depending on who you are and your quality of production. So that there plays into all of this because we have to feed these cattle. Correct. Um, so we need to be very mindful that, that, that market sways, but the one that scares me the most lane is the one that also affects you the most. And that's the fuel market. You know, you, you, so how does that affect us the most? So, you know, the problem is, uh, think about every time we run a tractor down the field. Okay. We've got to recoup that fuel cost, right? Correct. Every time we run a truck with a trailer down the road, it costs us money. It does. And your guys have to pay to come to work. They drive to work. I do. You drive to work. I do. Your wife drives to her business. It's the one thing that affects all of us equally. The problem is, is... When we start applying that to the fact that we'll run a tractor 22 hours a day during planting season, it gets real bad. And plus there's a factor they're already uh, rationing. Yeah, and around here. Fuel, around here. Here's the deal. We got our fuel dropped off today. 
And I know other farmers around us that they can't even get on a list to get 10,000 gallons of diesel to run for the year. And we pre-contracted this fuel in August. Think about that. Yeah. Last year, August. We had this bought and, and have been waiting since August of last year to get this fuel. It's ridiculous. You know, and the problem is, is they're rationing it. It's not just here. It's everywhere. I've got some, some friends that live out in the Midwest. They're having the same problem. Luckily they do what we do and contract early and get our fuels and we know what we need, right? Cause we farm pretty much the same amount of ground every year. Correct. The problem is, is what do you guys do if you haven't pre-contracted a or B? What if you can't get your fuel when you need it? That's a big problem. That's a huge problem. And, and I'm going to tell you right now, as the price of fuel goes up, the price of grain grows up. So anybody out there finishing cattle, we've got to keep that in mind. I've got one of the cheapest costs of production probably in the nation because I use the products that we can't sell to other, other entities. Correct. Right. If, right. if I have hay that's 225 test, it goes to the dairy. If I have hay that's 170 test, we keep it for the house. Right. If we have 20% beer barley for Coors, they won't take it. So guess what we do? We chop it up and feed it. That's why we feed so much barley. You know, it, that's why we've gone away from, well, another reason is, is it makes better cows, but that's that's beyond the point. But the the thing is, is I have one of the, lo- the smallest costs of production in the game when it comes to feeding cattle. And I am worried about it. I'm worried enough about it that we're reducing our number in our feedlot because I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to, it's not afford, but I don't do things for free. I'm already waiting three years to get a paycheck. I'm not going to make it a thousand dollars a year. Just, I, I won't yeah. do it. It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense. So what we do is, is we modify our, our needs to our wants. And if we don't have a, if you're not on a pre-sell list with us right now, you're not going to get an extra steer that's floating around. Once they're gone, they're gone. And next year we'll see where the prices look and maybe we'll hold over a couple extras and maybe we won't. And we're talking full blood animals, guys. We're not talking the F1s. This is only full blood animals that we're, we're dealing with F1s. We keep so little of them because we ship them off because they'll give us $1,300 at 400 pounds. They will give me $1,300 to come pick up my cow at 300 pounds, three to 400. That's what they want it. And they pay the fuel and they pay the fuel. How do I lose? So that's why we never really feed F1s. Like we'll keep a couple around for a few people here and there because they request them and they bought them and they like them. But we do not keep them unless they are paid for. Or at least we know the guy who's buying them and we know they're good for it. Exactly. So, you know, the cattle market, guys, we need to be very careful. We need to be very mindful. And you guys buying recip cows, it's going to get more expensive. You guys buying cows right now that are pregnant with an embryo, it's going to get more expensive because them good cows, there's so few of them right now. And you're going to see cows that are not what I would consider good recips being embryos put in, getting pregnant and getting sold on these auctions. And you may end up with a train wreck. Be aware. Just be aware. I'm not saying it's going to happen. I'm just saying it's a possibility when the market gets small and the number of animals get deterred. These are the things that happen. And it's real easy for an unscrupulous person to sell you more than what he has or over over promise and and under deliver correct well well, and the other issue you're going to run into is i think a lot of these guys that are running these reset programs are piss poor cattlemen anyway 
I'm not saying they're bad cattlemen. I'm just saying they don't know enough about what a good resip is. Because here's the deal. If they did, they would keep all of the good recips. Yeah. They'd never let them go down the road. There's a reason it's not staying at their house. So when you buy one, if it's a little hot, it's a little distempered, it's kind of a pain in the ass, there's a reason it was sold pregnant to you because it wasn't fitting in someone else's place. Uh, I know quite a few people are having train wrecks in right now with embryos. They're bringing, they're bringing cattle in from Ohio in from Florida in from Texas. They're running them on some mainstream protocol and these cattle are just not producing like they think they should. Well, yeah, because you just brought them from freaking 80 degree weather to 30 <laughs> and they're freezing to death and they're 400 pounds underweight and, and, and there's a lot of problems. And I know four or five guys that are having these wrecks right now. Well, I don't go two days in a row without somebody calling me right now and saying, hey, we have an appointment in two weeks or three weeks and uh, we've just got to put this off. Well, when would you like to do it next, the week after? Oh, no, we need, we need to wait for two months. And, and I eight would weeks, say- Eight weeks, ten weeks because we've lost so much weight on these cattle. And they're just starting to kick out and get on their ration again. Yeah. And there's no way that we can get them to up to weight in a shorter time. Well, and I'm having that constantly, right? Yeah. And the problem is, is it's been so cold here. These cattle are consuming all of those calories and they need them to keep themselves alive. It's funny. Um, I've never seen before, Steve, these cows are out in the field, right? Mm-hmm. Not just our cows, but everybody's cows. They're out in the field, and they're walking. It looks like it's a cat arching its back, right? Right. right. They're just trying to con- um, bundle compress up themselves enough to keep some of that body right. weight in, right? And, and the problem is, is it's not only been cold here, but it's been wet. And that's where the big problem comes in, is wet. We have struggled with pneumonia this year. I, I haven't had... I have been lucky. I haven't had problems, but everyone we know, even the guys that I help a lot, um, they, they've got some problems. They've lost a lot of calves. Uh, I've heard an average of 20% of most calves born in Idaho in January and February have passed. I would, I would believe that. We make a trip to the dump three times a week, and the amount of animals that are up at the dump every day is astonishing and it's sad it really and, and, is and, and these guys get paid one time a year and it's big cows get, it's yeah. medium cows it's calves it's mamas and calves yeah. i mean it's well, it's, well, it's, and, it's terrible and the problem is lane is they only get paid once a year right so yes. they're gonna start their year in the hole in the hole and and get to farm all year and run these cows all year knowing that they're behind the eight ball and, and my heart goes out to them because that's, that's going to be, it's going to either tell the guys that are going to stay in it or the guys that are going to go home. And we can't afford guys, more guys going home. No, no, no one can. Yeah. The industries cannot handle this as a whole. So here's the deal. If you don't see $2.50 calves this year, you're going to lose a third of the active cattle producers in the nation. It's just the reality of it. At 250, I figured they could probably break even with the losses. Right now, the USDA is doing a lot of indentum indentum payments, 
for loss of calf due to storms and, and things like that. Trying to keep these ranches afloat. It's been a bad year. It's been a long winter. It's been, it's been rough. And the problem is, Lane, I think that we're going to have a wet spring and we're going to run into more problems. We are, like we did last year. Right. right. And, and luckily, we're, we're set up to the point that our stuff's pretty okay. Um, next year, we will be a completely fall herd. We'll have no spring calves next year. We'll roll every, we're rolling everybody back to August. We'll start probably calving first week of September. Mm-hmm. And we're, I'm done. I'm done playing the winter game. I'm going to get these calves here. I'm going to get them, their moms going. And uh, they're, they're going to be three, four months old by the time winter hits. And guess what? They're on the run from there. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't lose many. I didn't have many problems. But at the same time, you know, I, I lost a master chef daughter this year. Uh, first time heifer, she prolapsed on us. Is it, It's just what it is. Mm-hmm. She was fine. Um, I dragged the calf into the calving barn, go out to get her, and she's laid down and pushed her uterus out. Is what it is. Um, I wasn't very happy about the situation, but it, it, it is what it is. So, so are we done with the market? Yeah, I think we can be done with the market for a little while. Okay, let's go to some of the questions and concerns that people have, have sent our sent way, our way, and questions that we've helped people with, and. Uh, so right now the AWA has found it in its infinite wisdom to bring about EPDs. And explain to some of the new guys so what EPD is. EPD has a basis in the Angus industry really developed the EPD. Um, what they decided back an eon ago. What does EPD stand for? Estimated Steve? progeny difference. So it's the, the difference between, between, that you should expect between each of the progeny and how tight of tight of correlation that they are. So here's the problem. The people who started this really were the Angus Association. They started measuring EPDs, like I said, probably in the 70s, I guess, or 80s, well before my time. And now the Angus Association, and this, and this is just a paritable, right, Lane, to, for you Correct. to understand this, because Lane doesn't understand this very well either. So the number one selling... Angus Ranch in America is Shaft Valley Angus. And where are they out of? They're out of uh, St. Anthony, Nebraska, or Dakota. Okay. South Dakota, I think. North Dakota. One of the Dakotas. They produce the highest selling bulls most year. And if you were to look on EPDs on their bulls, you would think that they were the most trashy bulls in America. Really? You would. Yeah, not, not, I'm not saying no, the, like, no. like the very bottom, but you would not expect the bulls to look, perform, and do what they do based on their EPD scores. And you're talking about a group of people that have been doing this for 30 years. So instead of going out to the Australian Association and going, hey, I don't care. It's going to cost us some money. It's going to cost us some stuff. We need your data. And converted their EBVs, their estimated breed values, yeah. to EPDs if they wanted. Right? And so, so estimated breed value is a little different. It, it has more to do with the breeding value of the cow that you have. Okay. So think about it like this. EBV is the breeding value of the animal itself. EPD is the progenary dis- difference between the, the progeny. So we're not, we're not saying that the, calf's go- the cow is going to solely be this, but what we're estimating what their future progeny will look like. Correct. So here's the deal. 
we should have went out. We should have went to Australia. We should have got their EBVs and converted them to EPDs. There is a formula out there to do it. They've done it in every other breed in the world. And we have decided in America, for some reason, due to whatever reasoning that the board had, that we're going to do this by ourselves. And the problem I have with it, Lane, is that it doesn't match the Australian database at all. And everybody... Everybody sees the Australian database as the go-to database for Wagyu. Right. Everybody sees it. Everybody wants Australian... Um, genes and their herds because of all the data that they've collected. Right. And we chose in the, in the American Wagyu yep. Association not to go with proved science, but to reinvent the wheel. Right. That's and crazy. It's, it's retarded is what it is. And, and it just cost them a shit ton of money. It, it probably cost them double the money in the long run to do it this way. But here's the biggest problem, Lane. You at least have to start the same as Australia. Go look up certain bulls. If you have a bull registered in both associations, go look at it and see how different it is. And some of the best bulls that are in this breed, whether it's red or black, they have great results in Australian's EBV, but we look at an American EPD and you would think that they were the bottom of the barrel. And I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Then I look at the accuracy. So f- to give an example of this, on average, there are a couple hundred thousand data markers turned in on a- the main Angus bulls in America. Okay. A couple hundred thousand, Lane. So, so SAV America, the highest selling bull so you say in the Angus breed. Not per individual cow. No, 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 no. Bull. Or not a per individual bull. Yes, Lane. Per individual bull. Because of their proge- pro- for the progeny, progeny difference, right? Okay, so, so here's the all deal. the calves that have yep. they've, they've measured sired. Them. Yep, they've measured them. They've marked them. They've sent them in for data collection. Okay. In the Angus, I guarantee that you look at a bull like SAV America, one of the highest, I think he still is the highest selling Angus bull of all time. I guarantee he had 100,000 at least 100,000 markers turned in the first year. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was far more than that the following years because it took them a while to get the semen out, right? Correct. So let's just say that they have 200,000 in two years. Okay. I don't know an, an, an Australian bull or an American Wagyu bull of any color that has that kind of accuracy. Yet, America still has 70 to 80% accuracies in his EPD. So I want you guys to explain that one to me. And how would that compare to the Australian EBV? Uh, EBV, it's, it, they've got a conversion calculation, but it's still going to show a similar thing, right? We're, we're looking at these numbers to decide what this animal is within the herd of, of either the Americans or the Australians, where it sits. It's essentially like a ACT test. It's going to place them somewhere in, in that group. The problem is, is there is never going to be enough data points to make that shit truly accurate. If America's second year still had 70% EBV values on certain traits, how in the hell does anybody expect a Wagyu bull to get two, 300,000 and have 
and have a similar setup. They're gonna they're gonna turn in fifty to hundred total, and they're gonna run that EBV, EPD or EBV all off that, and that is not accurate. That is not a big enough because sample. of the size of the sampling. Right, okay. the larger the sampling, the more accurate, accurate it becomes. It right. The problem is, is we're now going to see accuracies in the nineties percent on certain bulls, right? But the true number of total offspring make it very, very hard to trust that as a true accurate standard. So do are the guys um, recording all the data, bad calves versus oh, medium no. calves I, I, versus I, we do. great calves? Here's the deal. We do. I can't say anybody else is because I'm not on their place. We, we have the policy here is if it's born here, it gets recorded. So if it's good, it's good. If it's bad, it's bad. It gets written down. It gets sent in. That's the reality. There, I know people not going to do that. I know a lot of people that they're bad cattle. They don't even kill to eat. They sell it to the commercial cattle guy down the street and pretend it never happened. Those are the things that, that drive me crazy about this, this breed sometimes. I'm going to tell you right now. I think that it's absolutely crazy that somebody spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on a heifer and hundreds of thousands of dollars on a bull in a sale in Texas earlier this spring on semen that's not extremely widely used even in Australia, but here it's worth a mint. And there's no way that the, the value represents true, true EBV or EPD. There's no way. So people get to be the victim of marketing. That's right. Instead and, of science. And, and, and Lane, he comes from a marketing world, and he understands this better than anyone. He, he's been out-marketed a few times on a product that's half of what he used to sell because they came out with better marketing and a cheaper price. Right? Look at LP. Yeah. Yep. Sa same it, deal. It, same deal. Correct. So instead of relying on true science, you get bamboozled. By, by half-ass science. And then everybody goes, well, if we don't turn in the data, we'll never, well, you know, it won't get any better. You need to be able to turn in enough data <laughs> to have a large sample size, and I'm sorry, 100 head. I've got a cow. She's 18 years old. We just finally stopped collecting embryos on her because she stopped for us. And she was owned by Lone Mountain. She was owned by a couple other people before we got a hold of her who are high-production Wagyu folks, right? She has... 80 babies in her lifetime. I would say she probably needs to have 100 to 150 as a female to be considered a high accuracy female. And that's babies through embryos? Through embryos, right? Yes. And here's the other problem. Now, now this just makes me just irritated in self too. So we're not judging apples and apples in this industry yet. So, Lane, here's a prime example. I have really good recips. They milk a lot. Mm -hmm. They're well fed. They're well taken care of. They are. People comment about how crazy you are. All the time. With your husbandry of these animals. Right. And we wean a six to 700 pound calf at six months. Six to seven, depending on the weather. Like this year, they'll be on seven months because. The weather. The weather. Right. Right. We should be weaning them right now in May. 
but it's, I don't have grass yet, so I won't wean them until we go to grass. So whenever I get grass, that's when we're weaning them. Probably June. Probably June this year. So here's the deal. That calf that was on that recip cow is a far better calf than one that was raised by my Wagyu cow. Because they have all the option to extra milk, extra... Li- I've never had a raised by Wagyu calf outperform a recip calf. So A, we're not judging them fairly. So now we're going, oh, this one was 500 and this one was 700 or 600. Let's say 600, 100 pound difference. Right. Well, I'm going to look at that guy and go, well, we probably need to ban him because he doesn't, he doesn't meet the, the, the model. The difference is in our program is we do apples to apples. I have a different standard for Wagyu raised calves. I have a different standard for ET calves, embryo transfer calves. I have a different standard for F1s. Well, these these associations, they're not doing that. They're throwing them all in a hat, shaking them together, and then going, oh, this is what the outcome is. So if here's, here's something you guys don't realize. If I wanted to build a top 1% animal, I could probably do it in about, oh, give me two breeding cycles. I could produce a top 1% animal. I don't care about the numbers because they don't mean anything. And if you're falling for the number game, you're way too early in that. Give it 10 years, and then I can I can see once accuracies go up that we can start talking about it. Okay, so we've we've discussed the efficiencies, um, the EPB right now. EPD. And so what would be better if they went to an EBV program? They wouldn't. It's all junk right now. There's okay. not enough animals in the program to make it a true accuracy model. And different associations do different things. Right, and right. And, so and in Australia, you don't see these large swath of ET calves like we get here. Like, they do a lot more live animal breeding. Like, it's just a different program. I'll tell you a secret. I have a difference in conventional flushed animals and IVF flushed animals in our ET program. That's why we check them differently, too. Like, there's too many. So, so Angus has come out with, like, 23 different EPDs. Everything from birth weight to foot weight, foot claw, right? And EPDs are supposed to make the next generation better every time if you breed the EPDs. And that's what a lot of guys have done for a lot of years. How many foot problems do you see in the Angus breed, Dave? It's increasing all the time. So this EPD that's supposed to be so helpful for the whole industry, and we're having more foot problems than we've ever had. It got so bad, they had to make an EPD about it so that they could try to fix it, and it hasn't worked. Do not rely on EPDs. Rely on breeding and rely on knowledge. I know it's easy to use, but you're not, if you want to run the numbers and play the, the, you know, the whoopty will of the month and you want to make a little money doing that, I'm not going to say don't. I'm always up for making money. But you will not see any bond in my herd. You will not see any of those L10s, any of that. Because I've not seen any live calves that are just phenomenal from any of them. Now, in 10 years, maybe there might be some. Yeah, okay. And, and here's the other one. I'm not saying I haven't bought any bond. And I'm not saying I haven't bought any L10. But they're just not in our herd. They're just not in the herd. I, I'm not saying that I don't own them. I don't own semen. And if you can make a little bit of money... 
you can make a little bit of money, right? But right. I'm not going to use an unproven animal because I have a meat program to worry about. Doesn't make sense. So if you want to you want to roll the dice, I'm not saying don't, but let's be a little bit more scientific about it and make a calculated risk rather than let's just reach in the hat and see what comes out. Okay, now that we stirred the hornet's nest. Oh man, and that's why I haven't we haven't done anything for a month because this stuff has just been eating at me ever since I saw it because it's not a good thing. It, it, the science behind it's just not there yet. It, it's like Lane, it's like the the whole COVID vaccine. Okay. There was not enough science at the beginning of it to prove that it was a, a, a valuable thing. And there were those people that ran out and got it. And what did I tell you, Lane? What did I tell you? There's not enough science behind it. Yep, and we didn't get the shot, and that's the yeah. way it is. There you go. Right? So I'm a science guy. I'm not a guy who's afraid to take risks, but I'm also a guy who takes calculated risks, and that's how I've got to where I am in life. So just guys, just be careful, please. Do we want to talk about semen prices now? And we talk about some semen prices. So I've heard some wild things of late. Um, I know a guy who just bought some Master Chef semen for twenty five hundred dollars a straw. Um, I think that that's probably a fair price at the moment, uh, mainly because um, I don't know how much of it's left out on the market. Okay, uh, so supply and demand. So right? Supply and demand, right? And everybody wants to use him. Who's that? Everybody wants to use him. Who? Wait, tell me one more time which bowl. Master Chef. Oh, Master Chef. Okay. You know, so there are a couple hundred straws in a few different tanks around the country, but I think most guys are down to three to five straws or 10 straws. And I think that's what it's going to go to. A couple of years ago, you could have got it for about 250, the available stuff. But I think now that we're in the eve of what we're in, it's going to be used up fairly quick. And 2,500 kind of seems to be the number that I keep hearing. And it's not from one person. I, I've been called by seven or eight people and they've all kind of said between $2,100 and $2,800. So I kind of took an average at 25. Okay. So Katsakari is another one that's becoming a little harder to find. Um, I've heard that semen prices are about 800 on it right now. You like Katsakari? Um, yeah, we imported a bunch of it uh, earlier this spring. So I, I bought up the last of the exportable in Australia and we brought it home. I'll use it. I've used it in the past. We've got a herd bull from him. Uh, William is a Katsukari son. Okay. Um, we use him different than most guys are going to use him. I use him uh, if I need to fix an extreme length issue. So, guys, here's the deal. Um, my D4 cow's a long cow. And I've bred her to Master Chef, and she's created daughters that are four inches longer than she is and four inches taller than she is. Um, and then I breed them back to Katsukari to add depth because they already, they're already deep as can be, but I want to add a little more depth so that they don't look as long. And that's the thing everybody's got to remember. Oh, everybody looks at these pictures online. They're like, oh, these cows look so long. Most of them aren't as long as you think they are. Um, they just don't have as much depth to offset it. Right. Right. Okay. It's kind of like looking at a wiener dog. They look real long and they look longer than they actually are. And then you pick them up and you're like, Oh, you're not as long as I thought you were. Right. You get the wiener dog standing next to a beagle. Right. And then <laughs> the beagles just look like they're, they're just a brute. And that's the difference in the Akushi, especially the, the red cows. Um, I would say in the industry today, you have big cows and you have little cows and not a lot of medium sized cows. Um, uh, the blacks, I, 
there's very few big cows, and we know this because we have very, we're probably one of the last groups that are still breeding high 16, 1700 pound maternal cows. Um, I, I don't know. I, I like big cows. I need them for the winters. So well, for our winners, they need yeah, to be big. Right? They need to be big. I need to be. And here's the problem. So I've seen a lot of these master chef sons lately coming up online and there's a big problem with a lot of them. You know what it is? And it throws me off. Tell me. So they're breeding master chef to these cows that, that are, that are fed in such a way that they're almost show cows. Okay. So they're fat girls that look huge, but they really structurally are not huge. And there's a bull calf that was born that's been getting rolled around on the internet. And he ain't got no gut. Bulls have to have a gut. And everybody's like, oh, I want this, this. I go, no, no. You have to have enough room between the rib and their hip that they can eat enough forage out on the desert to produce enough intake that they don't die during breeding season. If you're going to put them in an irrigated pasture, it's not a big deal. But if you're going to use them, they got to have enough capacity to fill their fridge in their internal fridge so that during the night or the day, whenever they decide to breed and they go out and they chase cows over half mile, that they have enough internal stuff going on that they're not running out of food. I'm not talking big old nasty soggy bulls. Don't get me wrong, but you got to have enough room between that rib and that hip. And the problem is these guys are breeding master chef to these sawed off cows and they're effing it up. Like, like, come on. And, and I get it. You guys are trying to make some money, but good hell you're screwing up good genetics because you think that you have something and you don't. And, and I'm not saying that, that don't do it. Don't sell your embryos. Don't make thousand dollars a piece on them. Just, be realistic about what you're doing and realize that, that you can't ruin good genetics because you decided your cow is good enough to have them. That's why he's $2,500 a straw, guys, because there's been too many of these matings. So Verile's on that list, isn't Verile's it? on our list. So Verile, another bull that doesn't have much exportable semen left in Australia, if any. Uh, I think that he's a piss-poor bull overall. I've not liked him. Uh, I think he's one of the worst bulls Ashwood Park ever produced. Do we have Ferrari? No. Well, that's a lie. But I have some at the in the tank, but not. We don't use it. Right. That's something we may sell somewhere else. Yeah, I, I, I'll use it as trading bargains one day. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's, it's getting expensive enough because yeah. people want it that I might trade for a cow or something. Yeah, but we've never for. put any of it. No, I've, I've never liked it. He's got a spotting gene issue, and his legs are white all the way to his knee. And I've always been I've always been concerned that he's going to spot out one of my bulls, and then I'm going to have a bull that's unsellable. So and it becomes ground beef. Yep. Yeah, we don't like that. No, I don't play the game, so I don't do it. Yep. Uh, so here's the other cool part about that lane. Um, Ashwood Park 0014 is the best bull that Ashwood Park ever produced. And he's five times the bull. Too bad that they didn't collect much semen, and it's all embryo importable. And I don't think there's many left. Like we bought the last 10 we could. I've been working for five and a half years to buy 10 embryos from a guy and finally got it done this spring. And it cost me a small household fortune. I could have, I could have bought a home almost for what we paid for those 10 embryos. Like a home 10 years ago, not today. Like today's prices are ridiculous, but uh, I could have bought 
when you bought the, your place, Lane, you paid what, 100K for it? 110K? Yeah. yeah. I could have bought your place for what we paid for those embryos. Wow. Okay. But we'll have some of the, I think there's only ever been four, bre- four or five born here in the States yeah. and registered. Um, we'll bring 10 in. I know he's already called and talked to our embryologist. So we're going to put him in uh, this fall, in our fall. Herd. So his, his traits, what, what did so, you like about so, his traits? So the thing about Ashwood Park uh, 14 is, is he not only brings you some huge size, but he brings you a ton of marbling. Okay. And his, and his birth weight's awesome. Uh, he, he was a nice small calf. He grew at a relatively quick pace. Uh, we're going to use him on top of the master chef daughters. Uh, one of these calves, whatever's born, uh, I'll get a bull out of it. I usually get one at least. Um, we're going to put it on top of the master chef daughters and we're going to, we're going to add a lot more depth, length and structure. So you always say, look at the dam, look at the dam, yeah. look at the dam. What was his mom like? TWA Matsui. She's probably one of the best cows in Australia. There's only ever been one cow that could outperform her B647, but we have so much of that with our A1 cow uh, and Kumimoto and and those other cows that, that Eldon and, and I got from Eldon early on that I don't need any B647. Oh, and we had a Katsukari by B647 born in August, if you don't remember. If you That's remember. right. So, and she's, she's going good. She's a, she's growing. She's, she is beautiful. Um, and, and that's kind of a cool deal. So the female, I've, I, the reason I tracked them down, I knew the guy who had them. He's out of Wagyu now, but was holding on to him as an investment. Um, he, he got to cash in some retirement points. There you go. Uh, some Daryl. Uh, so here's the deal. We're going to start moving in some black cows. So, so I've noticed something lately at a lot of sales. Um, Sanjiro and Sugar Sugatani are now becoming a quite expensive lot of semen to buy. Uh, I remember when you could buy it $50, $60 a straw, and it was like a year and a half, two years ago, that I noticed it had gone to 100 and some change. Uh, I've noticed lately that that everybody I've talked to, they're in that two to $500 class, depending on the sale and, and the circumstance in which the trade's happening. But that's for both Sanjiro and Sugatani. Um, I think you're going to see a lot more value placed in those bulls just because of their female lines and people are starting to get into the black cows again. They're starting to build, you know, trying to get deeper, longer cows and those bulls will help you out and, and, and they marble good. So since we're starting to divest ourselves, the black cows. Oh yeah. I hadn't told anybody that yet. Good job. Good job. Good job, Lane. So uh, did I did I did I uh let the cat, cat out, out of the, the bag. bag? So uh what we're gonna do over the next couple of years, um I am going to not get out of the black cows, but we're definitely um with my my ability to purchase some of the stuff we got out of Australia this spring, um I'm gonna focus more on my red cows again. Um, we'll reduce our numbers probably down to third. Yeah. Probably third of what we're at now. Um, I do plan on making red black still because I've liked how they finished in the feedlot. Oh, they have finished. Awesome. awesome. Um, but I can, I'm going to divest down to about a third. I'm not getting out by any means, which means I'm not going to sell any of the cool stuff in my tank. Correct. But um, we're definitely going to become a more, so I told Lane this about five years, uh, probably two years ago now. Yeah. I, w- I wish I could go back to mm-hmm. having five cows. Yeah, we have that discussion 
quite often. And because and this is the reason why. When I had five cows, I knew everything about those five cows. I knew you could have asked me anything about it, asked me any bull, and as long as I knew who the bull was, right, I could tell you almost with, with a, an assurity of about 80% the outcome I would get from them. Well, now that we've gotten so big, our donor cows I'm still the same way with. But we have so many more animals that I can't have that in-depth knowledge of every single one as well as I'd like. And by reducing, by cutting by a, down to a third of what we have now. We're manageable and know, know more of what we have. Right. And, and I, I, don't, I don't love the black cows. It's the reality of it. My, my heart's in the red cows, always has been. Uh, I have the black cows. I like them now. I'm becoming more okay with you know the production cycling and that of them. But I make far more money on them, red cows. Far more. And, and we make good money on the black ones, Lane. I'm not saying we don't make good money. I'm just saying my ability to make bigger improvements in the breed is going to come at me cutting down a little bit so that I can focus on true genetic breeding. No EPDs. We don't deal with that. I don't even look at them. True genetic outcome. Last bull we have to talk about is Michifuku. Michifuku. So I've noticed a lot lately that people are starting to come back around to Michifuku. Uh, I feel like it's cyclical sometimes. Um, where is he in our program of um, history and the bulls so, and so, things? So Michifuku was an import bull uh, <laughs> coming in the 90s. Um, he He's really a cornerstone for a lot of herds. Really is. Uh, great marbling bull comes from the Haruki 2 line. Um has a great mother, um, but I think that when the influx of the Japanese or of the Australian bulls came in with 01 through 05, um, he kind of got washed out a little bit. He lost a little of his prestige, did he? I don't think he lost it. I think that people forgot about it. Okay, right? These it, you see it right now with uh, with Bond and with L10 and all that. These bulls coming in from Australia. Sometimes um, the old breeders are leaving the industry, and they're leaving the industry with all this knowledge. And the new breeders come, and whatever the good marketing is, they buy. You've seen it in, in, in many industry markets. I guarantee it throughout your life. Yeah. Um, and not saying that, they're, that they couldn't be a great animal. I'm just saying that, that we're losing some of that older breeding that's important to not, not dwell on and bring back and try to make super huge. But he has some importance. And people are starting to, I think, find that again. But again, he's old enough now that the semen's becoming a little more expensive. So I don't know the reality how effective it's going to be long term. So that should wrap up the semen yeah, talk. That's the semen talk. So uh, I'm going to talk to you about something that a lot of you guys, I don't know if you do or thought about doing or have ever done. Um, so I have two Holstein cows right now. You're going to talk about feed first. Oh yeah, perfect. Yep. So so that'll roll it that'll roll in because I need the feed will roll right into the Holstein cows because okay. we, we had a problem the other day. Okay, here so, we go. So guys, the feed's going to be real expensive this year. I think all your grain crops are going to be up. I think that we're not going to have the yields that we have. Hell, we're only going to get three cuts of hay in Idaho. So our total feed, we're going to have to add more grain to it because we're only going to get three cuts of hay. So we're going to be basically down twenty five percent of our total right output. Right. Right. 
So I need you guys to, to look at what you're feeding, look at the value of what you're feeding, make sure that you're meeting your basic cow's nutritional needs. And if it was me, I'd feed more during the summer months than I would during the winter months. Get them ready, get them built up, get them fed, get them fed good for going into winter, for going into calving. So we're going to a fall calving herd next year. So I've got all these cows on the ground that will wean right before the fall. Then we're going to have to get all them cows brought back up and embryos put in for our fall calving in December. So we've got to get keep, get those yeah, cows so, healthy so, and keep them healthy so for I, I, I'm going to probably end winter. up feeding corn silage all year. Not not corn. No, no, no. Not the grain. No nope. silage. I'm going to end up feeding corn silage all year and probably some barley ration with some oats in it. It's just going to have to happen. In order for me to be able to wean calves, get them bred back again, get everything going, um, and not and not lose too many months, I'm going to have to do that. Uh, and the reason I wanted to talk about this a little bit today is you don't realize how important that feed is for lactation. Remember, when a cow's lactating, she needs 20% more feed than she did before she had that calf. So, prime example, we're going to go into the Holsteins. So this is this is the how you make two Holstein cows the most profitable. Oh yeah, ROI cows in your Wagyu herd. Oh yeah, by far. So uh, my embryo guys and me were talking one day and I talked him into putting embryos in for me. And Sean has some damn nice Holstein cows. We're talking about the kind of Holstein cows I think a lot of dairymen would love to have. Like 100 pound producing cows. Like, I don't know if you know about that or not. Uh, A cow, they judge their production in pounds of milk. A pound of milk is roughly 8.6 pounds or a gallon. So divide out 100 pounds... By 8.6, it's like 11 or 12 gallons, something like that. Yep. So Sean had a cow, and she's just a beautiful cow, and but she's... Gentle. She, and- oh, man, she's a great cow. And, and she's um, she she wasn't doing well on the concrete. So Sean, Sean and them guys hooked me up. They sold me two cows. One, me and her have our problems every day. But she's gentle still. She's workable. And then I had Sean put in some embryos for me. So we have, uh, I'm not going to tell you how many, but I will tell you that all teats are being used um, with MasterChef calves right now. And these calves are growing at leaps and bounds because they, these cows, uh, when I brought them home, I looked at her after we had all these calves on and I was like, wow, she don't look good. So I had to call down and got me a milking machine. I'm like, we better check this out. And she gave us four and a half gallons of milk. After nursing the calves all day. All day. Like she was spewing milk out of her udder. (laughs) So uh, we have two cows and they have a full lotment of calves. Um, And we are getting about five to eight gallons of extra milk every day. Besides feeding the cows. Yeah, feeding all these calves. And these calves are growing, and they're big, and they're rambunctious, and they're wild, and they eat all day. And so it gives us a fringe benefit to the guys in the shop. We take them a couple gallons of milk every couple times a week. Uh, My neighbors across the street, down the street, they get a couple gallons of milk a week. I'm drinking everything I can. Steve's family drinking everything I can. Plus, we're giving his wife's his wife's family's quite big, and we're they were supplying them with milk, and it's so 
Yeah, so it's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's something. It is, <laughs> but but this is this is what I was going to tell you about feed guys. So uh, well, I'd been feeding them some third crop alfalfa small bales, um, and they're getting about. I know exactly. So they get thirty five pounds of dry matter a day per cow, and then they get seventeen pounds of grain per cow per day. day. And that dry matter has been high test alfalfa. Um, and I don't put corn silage in it because it makes them milk more. And I traded hay and my, my bless my father-in-law's heart. He dropped me off a bale of hay and a couple bales of hay when we were feeding small bales still. No, it was you. You brought them to me. And they must have come in off the end of the field because they were mostly grass. And I looked at them, and I'm like, eh, I don't know. So I fed them. Our milk production cut down to a gallon of extra milk per cow per day. Now I got some good 300 and, or 230 test uh, alfalfa again back over at the house. And we're back up to eight gallons a day between the two of them. So that the grain never changed. They got the same amount of grain, the same amount of dry matter. But I want you guys to think about that. Just by changing to grass hay, I lost four gallons per cow per day of milk. And and they're like, well, you're like, oh, it's Holstein. But I want you to correlate it back to your cows you're having suck your, you know, feed your animals. When's the last time you guys went out and tested your feed in your field? Because we do it every year. We go do a circle cutting and then send it in and have it tested. Are you nutritionally depriving them while they're out grazing? I would... I would argue and say most people are. So how do you increase the... Uh, you got to feed a supplement. You want a supplement. So, okay. so why do you think we roll 20-pound molasses yeah. tubs out there? All the time. 20% protein molasses tubs. Yep, all They're the time. in front of my cows. If oh, they are 24-7, yep. 365. And I run breeding mineral year-round. Yes, you do. And people call me crazy because it's expensive, but... I also get 30 embryos of flush, so I don't know if I'm crazy or not. Okay, so let's go back to how we make these Holsteins the most profitable. We were talking so it, on milk replacement, right? Right. So a milk, a, a pallet of milk replacer is $4,000. Four grand. For and a pallet will bring how many calves um, to weaning? So if you do it the way the package says, yeah. one. There you go. If you do it the way most people do it, two to three, and they but, look like shit. But we don't usually do what no most people do. No, um, the cows cost me like a thousand bucks a piece. The dairy cows. Uh huh. Well, they were not quite that, but it's yeah, 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 cl- yeah close. Like close, by the time yeah. we drove up and got them, brought yeah, them home. Sure. The six trips I took picking up calves there here and there. Like, yeah. If we were to add them all together, it'd be a thousand plus. Yeah, yeah about a thousand a piece. Yeah. Right? So the problem with these damn things are, is the one will never be able to leave my house. No. She is such a good girl, and she has been so great. She takes every calf I bring into the pen. She's so maternal. She loves everybody. And so the other one's starting to get that way. But the other one is so easy to handle that my 8-year-old can walk out, hook her up with a lead rope, and halt her up and have her ready to be milked. So she's going to get an embryo put in her every year till she dies, and the other one's going to go down the cell yard. But here's the deal. Let's just say, and I will tell you right now, we have more calves than nipples. So it's not like four to four. 
it's, no, it's, no, it's no. yeah. Yeah, we have more calves than nipples. More, more Master Chef calves than nipples. But here's the deal. Those cows saved me, I figured, I got to count each of the calves, right? Saved me 30 grand in milk replacer. So we're riding home and we, we've got this cow. And we get her there and she's leaking all over the place. And Steve says, we can't have her get mastitis. So the first thing we do, is we go down to the... To the dairy the, guy. The, yeah, the, get, the ag star, right? Yep. right? And uh, ask him if he happened to have a, a milker. And he happened to have one. Well, yeah, and it was actually supposed to go to someone else. <laughs> and anyway, he sold it to us. And just so you, if you, any of you want to know... Yeah. One of the best milkers on the market with the bucket and everything you need is going to cost you 2500 bucks. Yeah. And so I, so he's going, crazy things I do. I come home with, with the cow. Then we came home with another cow the next day. And I went and had to buy a milker. And uh, he says, and now I have a chore. Right. I have to do. Every day, seven days a week. He said, I don't know if I like this. And then he started counting the calves and stuff and says how good they're doing and stuff. He says, oh, this works. Yeah. Well, and here's the other cool part, guys. If you're milking the cow, say, say you didn't have a great cow you got, but you could halt. And, and so everybody knows we tie them to a post and milk them in the pasture. So, so this isn't like we don't have like a milking stall or a chute or anything. It's legit. We tie them to a corner post and milk them in the pasture, like to a to a cattle panel. Yeah. Um. So you can take that cow's milk and put it in a bottle and feed it to the calf. The next day, the calf smells like her, and guess what happens? Grafting is done. Easy, easy peasy. And then you tie her up to milk her and you put him on. And game over. You now don't have to feed a bottle calf two days, two days, two days, two times a day. And he gets to drink when he wants and eat when he wants and grow and be happy. And here's the biggest part of this whole deal. And this is why I hate people who leave them in calf ranches. They get licked and loved on by those cows so much. Oh, they love them. That, that, and I tell Lane this all the time. One of the saddest things that I think happens in, in any industry like beef and dairy, especially dairy is some of the most maternal cows I've ever been around in my life are dairy cows, and they never get to raise a calf. And these girls, oh my goodness, they, they'll they go and we have a little lean-to shed. and uh, We have a calf spot. We have a calf spot, and it's full of straw so they can stay nice and warm. And these mamas, when it starts to get sundown, they go and actually put, those calves to bed where they're going to be warm and then they lay down in front of it and you can't move them because their babies are going to be warm right right and they stay there all night all night it is and then they get up and and they'll they'll all have breakfast and the cows are licking on them and everybody's clean it's like i told lane they're the cleanest calves i've ever had and this is, I mean, they do. They just love those calves, and it's fun to go and see them go. I usually help with the milking chores because it's just 
fun to go down and, well, and work with them well, a little bit. Well, right? and it's on Lane, Lane's way home too. So, yeah. so he just hop stops by, and I'm usually not too very far behind him from my day's stuff I'm doing. But, but here's the deal, guys. Those two cows will ROI thousands of percent. <laughs> and and say, just let's just say they were just run of the mill wagyu calves, not not high end ones. The very fact that I don't have to go twice a day and feed them calves and worry about them getting sick and worry about all the things that bottle calf problems are because they have a mom that takes care of them and keeps them clean and, and checks on them. And if they don't get up on time, they beller at them and moo at them and get them up. Like, like it's, it's so important for that bonding experience. And I think that, that these guys who do a lot of calf rearing for in the Wagyu world are really missing the boat on this. Because I'm telling you right now, I don't know how you pencil out calf replacer. Well, we look at the last three years with calves yeah. and things. And these are usually extra twins that we end up with. They don't but, grow good. But they, you know, and they haven't had the calves without moms struggle. They And, and here's the deal. We, we feed we feed a ton to these calves too that like the, we used to just bottle feed they'd get creep they'd get everything everything they needed and they would just struggle and then we'd kick them out to go out to range and they would like be lost well now they don't have to worry about that he's got a mom and and that's huge guys that, that I think there's more value in them having a mom that loves on them and and gives them that personal bond and affection than, than most people think. And this is what I'm going to tell you. I bet you that those Master Chef calves have huge weaning weights because they get all the milk they'll ever want. Even as they get bigger, we may not get any more milk, but they'll sure get plenty. Yep. Well, we've kind of had the, the happy part of the show. Yeah, yeah. So last thing we're going to talk about today is... Uh, how, as an industry, we're not capitalizing on our commercial Okay, cattle. guys, here's something I've I've been noticing this a lot, and I, ha- I don't say much about it because I we do it, so I usually don't want anybody else in my game, right? Why is no one building bulls for the commercial cattlemen? I'm going to tell you right now, if you, if you were smart and you could go down and you could find a buyer which if you are a cattle guy anyway, you're going to have to have your own buyer anyway. So why don't you go out and get you a buyer figured out and then sell your bulls to the commercial cattle guys at five grand a piece. They're going to buy some every time, every year, every year. If you'll sell their cows for them at a premium, they will be back at your place with their checkbooks every spring wanting to buy bulls. Our fastest selling commodity is our bulls. Oh, man. We cannot birth enough bulls and that's why to we keep up the demand. And we don't use sex semen. We refuse to because of this reason. But here's another thing, too. Everybody's missing the boat on this. So we have a lot of genetic issues in Wagyu. We all know about them. F11, you know, B3, all these genetic issues, right? And because of that, sometimes your bulls aren't worth very much. A commercial cattle guy doesn't give a shit. He's going to buy it, put it on his cows, and if you're able to help him get a premium, guess what? 
Okay. He don't care. And he's going to sell all the calves anyway. And what I tell my guys, do not retain any of these. Sell them all. And then go buy you some good heifers somewhere. Go to the sale, buy you some good heifers. Go to a sale and buy you some heifers you can be proud of. And then we'll just keep running these black bulls. You'll keep getting a premium or these red bulls. Either one will keep getting you a premium. You just come back year after year. They'll be $5,000. And this is a little bit of free advice. Kind of uh, a strategy that not everybody's using. And I bet you, as our podcasts go on, this probably won't be talked about again. Nope. No, I, I don't give free advice so, very often. So those so. that those who are listening, um, take it for what it's worth. Right. Um, but but I'm not I'm not going to lead a, a horse to water that won't drink. Yeah. Right. But I'm telling you right now, it the way this industry is going and how big that it's becoming, the F one guy is is going to be the guy who makes your your payment. If you have a payment you're trying to make, you can make a lot on five grand ahead. Because I guarantee you don't got three grand into them. So you're probably making two grand to $3,000 profit on yearling bulls. I don't know where else you're going to do that. Because I know that most Angus guys sell their bulls for three grand. And they do just fine. But it's a good way to get rid of those genetic defect cattle if you don't want to have a feeding program. So that's the opportunity that you'll have. Yeah, it's... uh... You can't believe the places that we've taken bulls oh, to. Oh, good Mike. lord! Um, and, and here's the thing: I, I've made a habit of helping those those guys that are trying to get into the breed but don't want to be breeders, because they're the ones that pay the bills. Like, if we needed to cash flow this place, we we could do it just with them. So, okay, I'm going to leave you with one last thing. So we are going to have up this week at some point in time on the website. Um, we're going to, well, not on the website. I'm going to put it on the Facebook page because that's usually the easiest for everybody to get into. I'm going to put out an embryo list. I usually don't open our embryo lists um, for purchase. This will be a pretty short opportunity for those who get involved and want it. Um, we have a few more embryos than we're going to need because we're going away from January calving and going to August calving. So we're going to get rid of some high-end embryos and some good embryos that are going to make good cows. I haven't set pricing yet. It's going to be very reasonable pricing on 90% of it. There's going to be those weird expensive ones because I don't want to get rid of them, but I'm willing to share for the right price. So those of you who have made it to the end know there's something coming before our next podcast and we'll, we'll have a podcast next week. It'll probably later in the week next week, but no, it won't be because I have to be in Congress next week all week. Mm-hmm. I will uh, maybe call Lane and we'll do this over the phone. We'll do it. We'll do a short podcast next week um, or maybe do it before I leave. So maybe do it on Sunday. But anyway, so uh, sometime between now and Monday, we will have a embryo list posted. On which website, Steve? Uh, Facebook. Yep. uh, We have uh, an account for uh, What's New in Wagyu on Facebook. Okay. It'll be put put on there in an Excel sheet 
for all of you to look at. It will have pricing on each of them. Um, we will not break any embryos down farther than five. You have to take a minimum of five. Um, the expensive ones, I would, I would probably break them down smaller. Um, if you call and talk to me about it, if, if you want just like one or two, I do recommend most people buy them in threes if they can three to five. That gives, that gives you the best opportunity to have uh, a good outcome. And they are all conventionally flushed embryos except a few, there will be some A1 embryos that we collected last year uh, before she went down to Eric's. Um, just, just stuff I'm, I'm not gonna, not gonna say I wouldn't use, but at this point, because of the reduction, we're going to reduce down our commercial herd a little bit. So we're going to have less recip cattle. Uh, I'm finally getting rid of all those bad feet things the association brought me. So, um, but yeah, so you guys keep looking at that. Um, and then maybe, uh, the end of the month, I'd like to get rid of some black embryos too. So you might see quite a few embryos that not many people have seen in 10 years get put up for sale. Not because we don't want to put them in, but our program is changing a little bit, uh, based on I'm getting busier. Um, Lane can maintain most of my stuff, but there will be a point where I'm, traveling a lot more so we're gonna try to make it so it's manageable for everyone um, but keep all of our customers happy so with that i'm gonna leave you and thank you so much for another fun-filled adventure in what's new in wagyu hey homecoming queen why do you lie when somebody's mean where do you hide do people assume you're always alright? Been so good at smiling most of your life. Look damn good in the dress, zipping up the mess, dancing with your best foot forward. Does it get hard to have to play the part? Nobody's feeling sorry for you. Showing what's under your skin What if you let them all in on the lie Even the homecoming queen cries mm -hmm. Hey homecoming queen How's things at home? Still walking on eggshells When that curtain's closed Did your daddy teach you how to act tough or more like your mama sweep it under the rug look down good in the dress zipping up the mess dancing with your best foot forward did you want the crown or does it weigh you down nobody's feeling sorry for you what if i told you the world wouldn't end if you started showing
when somebody's mean 